My good people, what's going on? What's happening? Feeling good this morning? Hope you're getting your week off to a good start as we discuss everything that's going on in the world of sports here on the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. Welcome aboard for those who are listening to the very first time. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to download, listen, to find out who the hell is this guy, this J Reels. He talks sports. What does he got to say? Well, it's very important, and not only that, but I graciously appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this. And for those who have been here more than once, twice, three times, 10, 20, etc., I welcome you guys back. Of course, I'm here each and every Monday discussing everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect here on a Monday, September the 17th in the year of our Lord, 2018. Here we are, just plugging along five days until it officially becomes fall. There'll be a moment of silence in a matter of seconds. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's uh, kick it off right here. We got uh, quite a bit to discuss on this podcast. We'll uh, not really get into, but I'll talk about Canelo Alvarez and the Triple G Gennady Golovkin fight. I did not watch it. Let me just preface it by saying that. So you're not going to get a review of it and my thoughts, but you're going to get my thoughts on boxing overall because it's the first time I've actually delved into boxing here on the program. So you'll get my two cents in reference to that. We'll catch up uh, everybody on everything that's going on in the Major League Baseball circuit, all the crazy pennant race uh, chase that's going on, especially in the National League. And obviously we'll recap what's going on with the Yankees as they are literally running out of gas, heading to the finish line at 162, headed towards that wild card game, which I believe they'll still host at home. But uh, I see a couple of things that I don't like and certainly want to point out, despite the fact that all summer long I've praised this Yankee team. And not that I'm going to cut them to ribbons by any stretch of the imagination, but just some things, some signs to look out for as we head toward the end of the season into that wild card game, which will be two weeks from tomorrow night. But we're going to start off with the NFL week two and everything that's going on there. We'll kick it off with the locals, but we'll start off with the Giants and the One thing that we talked about at the NFL preview a couple weeks ago is that we could talk about quick starts, fast starts, et cetera, but knowing this schedule that the Giants had laid out in front of them, that these first couple of games are going to be key only because you certainly don't want it to get to a point where the team becomes 0-3, 0-4, 0-5, and so on. That happened last year. We see what happened with the team at the end of the year as they drafted second overall in this past NFL draft. I remember a few years back when they started off 0-6. And And sometimes when these types of seasons start off, they don't seem to get back on track. And that's not to say that if the Giants win in Houston this coming Sunday, or even lose, I should say, that it's going to fall off the rails. And even if they do happen to win the game, that everything's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Because right after that, they still have to face Carolina, Atlanta, Philly. You know, just some tough teams in New Orleans right after the game against the Texans. So you look at the early season landscape here, and win or lose, it's still going to be tough sledding. But last night what you saw in Dallas, and especially with the way the offensive line just sprung leaks everywhere, it doesn't bode well going into a game in Houston when you're going to face J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, and Whitney Merciless at the point of attack for the G-Men down at the what is that, NRG Stadium in Houston. And what you saw last night was just indicative of what we've said all along, despite the fact that there's talent abound from the running back position to the wide receivers to the tight end. But if you're not going to keep Eli upright, then what's the point? And that's pretty much the theme here when we talk about this game last night because the Giants couldn't get anything going. And everybody could talk about, oh, but this offense is supposed to be putting up these gaudy numbers. As we've said time and time again, the Giants have not scored 30 points in a game in forever. And it's certainly not going to look like they're going to do so anytime soon considering they don't get or do not get any type of reinforcements on the offensive line. But then with that being said, where do they go for reinforcements? You know, it's not as if you could – it's not Major League Baseball where, hey, we need a relief pitcher. Let's see if we could pluck somebody's relief pitcher, closer, middle relief, whatever it may be, and then just bring them onto the team. No, it's not as if you're going to go to somebody's team and say, hey, what can we give you for this you know, offensive tackle or guard or what have you. And you're certainly not going to pluck somebody's lineman from a practice squad. I mean, please, are you really going to entrust somebody's practice squad offensive lineman on your team at this stage of the game, two games into the season? 
So the Giants right then and there, they have the bullseye on those five guys. Or even Nate Solders making comments after the game saying that, hey, you know, we just missed our assignments. Just did not play well. The guy that you brought in from New England paying all that money, not that he threw his line or team under the bus, but when you get the veteran free agent acquisition like he did and coming into this team, there's just doesn't seem like there's going to be any hope. And all you can do right now if you're the Giants – is look forward to that next game. You can't look at the cluster of games after that. You can't say, oh, geez, New Orleans. With New Orleans, they had to do everything it took for them to win that game. And I thought they still would have won the game, despite the kid missing the extra point there in the Saints-Browns game. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But on a whole, with the team just desperate, knowing that they have to get a victory under their belt in a big spot, down in Houston, if they somehow, some way, do not right in the ship, it's going to be another long season there at MetLife. At least for the team that wears blue. For the team that wears green, we'll certainly talk about that in a couple of minutes. But you, you certainly just did not like what you saw from the offense. You know, a lot of dink and dunk, and I understand a lot of the reason why is because you weren't able to do anything because their pass rush, Taco Charlton, Demarcus Lawrence, was just in the backfield to seem like every other play. And when you have that type of offense, you really can't get things going if Eli, who was efficient in his passing early on, but you're only throwing for you know, four yards an attempt. That's not going to cut it. And it certainly didn't help that pretty much right out of the gate, the Dak Prescott to Tavon Austin 64-yard pass play where Janoris Jenkins was just got deked out of his jock. And then next thing you know, before the end of the first quarter, you're down 10 nothing. you're pretty much fighting uphill. And where the Dallas pass rush was going downhill. And you can't look and say, oh, well, you didn't get contributions from this guy, you know, Saquon. Hey, listen, well, I mean, what could you do? I understand a lot of those yards and a lot of the production that they got in that second half was pretty much when the game was out of hand, remember, it was 20-3, to three, even though the score looks closer than what the actual outcome of the game was. But just to put this to bed, you have to go past this game somehow, some way, regroup on that offensive line and just get it together. And it's not just about picking on Eric Flowers, as we all know. You know, Will Hernandez did not have a good game. Though, I mean, the whole offensive line. I'm not going to point out guys here and just say, oh, this guy just blew the game for them. No. The offensive line was the GOAT of this game last night. And now as you look ahead, you only hope that the Texans, who lost in Tennessee yesterday and now have their first home game of the year, and Deshaun Watson had a better performance this week than he had last week against New England, all you can hope for is A, get some blocking up front, but B, Hope you get the Deshaun Watson of week one than you did of yesterday. And it's not going to be an easy spot. Texans, we know they have talent on both sides of the ball. Predominantly the wide receiver. You know, we all know DeAndre Hopkins. And if somehow, some way, they get to hook up with some big yardage against the Giants. And we all know Giants do not have a big pass rush. If Watson has their way against that defense, oof, that could be another long day down in the state of Texas, just like they did last night. In Big D. And are you worried if you're a Giant fan right now? I'm sure you're probably looking at it like, oh, you know, this is just typical, you know, Giants. We can't seem to get our, you know, get out of our own way. We always get off to these rough starts. People want to point at the coach. I mean, what can you do? We all knew that the offensive line was going to be front and center going into the season. And that if this offense was going to have any success, it was going to be predicated on those five guys. And again, it's two games. You still got 14 more to go. It was a long season. We know that. But if things do not shape up fast, and I mean fast, as in their first snap comes Sunday afternoon down in Houston, this season is going to end up being another long one. And with that quarterback, and this isn't to knock Eli and it's not to get on him per se, but when you look at the decisions that were made in the offseason by them drafting Barkley and not bringing in a quarterback, and you got to wonder, did the Giants make the right choice 
drafting the running back instead of drafting a quarterback because could you imagine if Eli, who's been a beacon of health when it comes to the starting quarterback position, we all know he's pretty much played every game other than the one against Oakland last year, which snapped his consecutive game starting streak. But you have to look at just two games in, and I understand it's a bit of a stretch. You still got to this. It's going to take time, but it just makes you think. It makes you wonder. Like, wow, here's a guy that could be a sitting duck back there. If this offensive line is going to be Swiss cheese, when you look at the long term, how is this going to be? Where all right, once Eli is gone, then who's going to fill in his shoes? And we all know those are going to be some big shoes to fill. I understand it's a question, that's a thought. Everything for down the road, you got to look at it for right now, but it's going to be a fascinating one, especially in these parts. When you look at the team who resides in the other locker down the hall, the Jets, drafting their quarterback and not knowing what's going to happen with the Giants in the years to come. I get it. It's a story for another day. Totally understand. But that's the one thing I think of when you look at this team and the way it's constructed. And we all know that this is going to be an offensive-driven unit. If you're going to look at the identity of this team, it's their offense. But if that line does not wake up, what good is it going to be? So the Giants have to lick their wounds, 0-2 start on the heels of the 0-5 start last year. And I'm sure Pat Shermer and company, they're going to fast and furious try to get something in order. Not necessarily a deal, I don't think there's no way they're going to look to go to another team that has any type of offensive lineman. They just don't grow in trees. But you can only hope that somehow, some some way, after a good week of practice, knowing what they're going to go up against in that defense, and the defense hasn't done much this year. They didn't do much in New England. And yesterday, I know that they lost against Tennessee, but they certainly didn't wreck the game by any stretch. But again, first game, home opener, They know they need to win. Giants coming to town. I'm sure they're going to feast on that offensive line knowing what it did last night against the Cowboys. And as for the Jets are concerned, different mistakes altogether. Young team, young quarterback, home opener. Everybody was pumped, ready to go. But it was tough from many standpoints, not only just from the quarterback, but just some dumb decisions. I don't say dumb decisions, that's a little bit of a Stretch to say that, but just some bad breaks. Things certainly didn't go their way. And they lose to a Miami Dolphin team who have started their year 2-0. First time, I think, since 2013. And when you look at this game, you pretty much look at a couple of things. You look at Darnold, right, didn't have the greatest game, 25 for 34, 330-something yards. Again, a lot of that was in catch-up. They were down 20-6. to But they certainly weren't able to capitalize on a couple of key situations. The one in particular was right before the half where you had that sack there and at 14 nothing, and you would think that the Jets were going to get the ball back, probably weren't going to do much because it was toward the end of the first half. But you had the holding penalty on Claiborne, which led to the touchdown to A.J. Derby, and that pretty much would have sealed it. 21 nothing was 20 nothing because they missed the extra point. So the Jets certainly had to fight from there. And all they could do is pretty much from that point on, had to play catch-up with a rookie quarterback. That's going to be very hard. And I understand right before the half, they could actually put some points on the board, but they weren't able to punch it in. Again, I didn't watch this game fully, so I don't know. You look at clock management, the whole thing with Bowles. We all know he has a bad history with that. But certainly not being able to get in the end zone there where they got the ball back to start the second half. Who knows? That could have been a interesting change of events because, as we know, they start off the second half with the ball, march down the field. They get the touchdown, and then after that, recover the fumble. So now you have a 20-7 to game, or 20-6 to game, because they also missed extra point. And then here they go, pretty much first in the goal, or in the red zone. And then what does Darnold do? Throws a pick in the end zone. I get that the receiver probably didn't finish the route. I think he was led a little bit too far, because it was to the outstretched hands of the cornerback who made the interception off the top of my head. I can't remember who it was. I don't think it was Rashad Jones, but the corner then goes ahead, makes a nice play, gets both feet inbounds to the back of the end zone, 
And pretty much that was your game from there. Xavier Howard, that's who it was, now that I think about it. And when you look at it from that standpoint, even with the Jets coming back, they had to settle for a couple field goals later on in the game to make it 20-12. to And in the key game, even with the Dolphins right at midfield, where they had a third and 19, all they had to do was make a stop, they get the ball back. Third and 19, under pressure, Tannehill dumps it off to Frank Gore, who had to pretty much catch it from his shoe tops. Runs 19 yards to get the first down, which is just an absolute backbreak. I mean, geez. That play was about three minutes and change to go. And then Tannehill, on a bootleg, ran for a first down and iced the game. And just a tough loss. They beat themselves. A couple of those key plays, like I mentioned, those certainly going to hurt a young team. You can only hope that they learn from that. And Darnold, I mean, what can you say? You know, Darnold, you see the glimpses. You see the throws. You see the, the ability. Just like I mentioned before with the whole Giants and who they chose in the draft. And it's not to knock Barkley and not to knock what they did, but it certainly could question it. And when you got a guy like Darnold who is over there making plays and doing what he can, although he did have a couple of mistakes, but that's expected for a guy who's playing in a second NFL game. And now the Jets at 1-1. One one. I understand you would like to have beaten the division rival. You want to win those games in the division in the worst way. But now you have a short week. And you go to Cleveland, and I'm going to say this about the Browns. I'm not going to say that for real. I'm not going to say that, you know, they still haven't won a game. And it's a game yesterday that, let's face it, they should have won, and it would have been a miraculous win, which we'll get to in a second. But that defense is actually very good. And they're on the come up. You know, they pretty much held Drew Brees in check all afternoon down to Big Easy. And a lot of defenses do not go in there by any stretch, and let alone stop, but slow down that St. offense. And we understand it's a different St. offense than it was back when they won a Super Bowl, what was it, eight, nine years ago. You know, they have more of a ground game now with Alvin Kamara, but the weapons are still there, the offense is still intact, and they were able to slow them down to 21 points at home. And remember, they were down 12-3 going into the fourth quarter of this game. The Saints. 12-3. So the Browns had pass rushers. They had the kid Denzel Ward, who had a couple picks the opening game against Roethlisberger. And they have some talent on the defensive end, on the defensive side of the ball. It's the offense is that it's from hunger. But, you know, do you, you're the Jets. You know, you're going to do what you can to not only stay in this game, but win this game. And it's a winnable game by any stretch. I mean, I'm not going to look at it from a standpoint and say, oh, no, Jets can't go in there and win. But Cleveland, they're feisty. And even in a lot of these games that they played over the last couple of years, you know, it's not as if they've been blown out in every one of them. You know, they've hung tough. You know, it's not as if they're up, you know, teams up 14 nothing and they pack it in. They hang around, they hang in there, and, of course, they always find a way to screw it up at the end. But at the same time, they've certainly – have been surprising that they've hung in these games for a team that has, hasn't won since the end of the 2016 season. And that's what they're going to be up against. You know, the Miles Garrett's of the world, the number one pick from last year's draft, 2017. You know, they have guys. They have guys who can wreck a game defensively. And against a quarterback that's going to be playing in his third NFL game, short rest, short week, I think it's going to be challenging for the Jets. I think they could, they could win the game. And if you ask me right now, are they going to win the game? I would have to say yes. You know, over Tyrod Taylor and what they present on offense. So, Jets are going to... And I think it's a big game for the Jets moving forward because after this, you know, the schedule gets a little bit trickier. You know, we're going to expect these type of games where the Jets will probably be in them, but you're not going to see what you saw there on Monday night last week, 48-17, which was, I mean, that was the highest of highs if you're a Jet fan. But with the schedule getting tricky moving forward and knowing that you want to see this team progress, this is this is a game I would think that they would have to win. Despite the fact that Darnold is going to go into a tough spot against a team that is just dying for a win, thirsting for a win, and when you think about it, actually could be 2-0. 
as of this morning. The Steeler game last week when they had a chance to win in overtime and their field goal was blocked. And then yesterday, I understand that they actually could have taken the lead with an extra point and they got that missed and then they gave up the field goal as time expired. But the Jets, this is a game that was is going to be a building block for them, not necessarily for this season, but if you would think if they were going to be relevant. And what I mean by that is that they're going to stick around, hang around. This is a game that they need to win. You don't want them to be one and two, and then you're going to be like, oh, the same old Jets, especially if they just put up a pathetic performance. You know, look at some of the games last year. You know, when they beat Kansas City and then they went to Denver and they got shut out. And the same deal when they beat Buffalo on that Thursday night game, that high-scoring game, and then they went to Tampa and they lost 15-10. to 10. Now, mind you, they're coming off of a loss, so it's not like they're 2-0 riding high and then they go to Cleveland and they put up a stinker. But this is a game that you would think that they should win, and rightfully so. I mean, the Browns have not, haven't won in forever, and the Jets, although slowly but surely trying to build, especially with the quarterback, but you would think they would do just enough to win this game. doesn't matter, as we all know. Style points do not matter when it comes to wins. As long as you have one point more than the other team, that's, that's it. You take it, and you never throw wins away. You never throw them back. So we'll see what that will, that will take the Jets come Thursday night in the primetime game that uh, will uh, kick off week three. So to recap week two, let's start with that Saints-Browns game because that was just unbelievable the way it ended. And it's interesting because from some of the people that, you know, the prognosticators, oh, it's unbelievable, I can't believe that happened. It's the Cleveland Browns. The Browns lose these types of games. And if you're not paying attention, just think what happened last week when they had six turnovers against Pittsburgh. They had a chance to go for a game-winning field goal in regulation, but whatever the play calling was, threw that away. And then we all know what happened in the overtime, as I just explained a second ago. And granted, Pittsburgh could have won the game in their own right on a field goal by Chris Boswell about a minute to go, but they still had a chance with seven seconds, and they blew that. But the Saints were down 12-3. They came marching back to take an 18-12 to lead. So now it's fourth and five at midfield. Cleveland has the ball with about a minute 20 to go. And what happens? Tyrod Taylor throws a bomb to the kid Antonio Callaway, who catches it in the back of the end zone, gets both feet in, and the game is tied. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, my goodness, can the Browns actually pull this out? And I said, well, wait a minute. Let's see what the extra point's going to look like. And then right at that moment, not even the second guess, first guess, I said he's going to miss this because the Browns. Sure enough, he misses it. It's 18 up. And even if he would have made the extra point, Zane Gonzalez, and I'm sure he's probably going to be looking for a job today, and that's tough because you look what happened last week, compounded with yesterday. But even if it was 19-18, with a minute 15 to go, Breeze, you just knew that they were going to march down the field, line up for a field goal, kick it through, and that's it. And sure enough, that's what happened. Saints 21-18. So after the pathetic performance on defense there the week before against Tampa, Saints get back in the win column. And the Browns, I mean, what could you say? Just another brutal loss as they look for their first win. But they're, they're coming, slowly but surely. And even though I picked them as an under, five and a half, because how can you, how can you tell me that six wins for a Brown team that hasn't won, a game, you know, won one game in two years, that all of a sudden they're going to win six? But still, they've been very competitive in these first two games. Give them credit. Give the coaching staff credit. And even Hugh Jackson, for a lot of people, could say, geez, in his last 33 games, he's, only, you know, he's lost 32 of them. They're playing hard. They're playing tough. They just haven't gotten the right play at the right time. And that's all you could chalk it up to. So we'll see how they move here uh, going forward. Uh, To stay in the NFC South Carolina, Atlanta, they had a moment where it came down to the final play where Cam Newton was trying to connect with uh, his receiver in the end zone. Looked like it was caught. Would have been 31-30, but it was dropped. Tough loss there for Carolina. Atlanta, after their debacle in Philadelphia there the week before to open up the season, bounce back and get themselves in the win column. Both teams now at 1-1. One and one. and uh, just to kind of go through these games uh, quickly, uh, Chargers and Bills, which this was a, the story in this game, which is you can't even make up, but the Chargers win 28, uh, I'm sorry, 31-20. to 20. Phillip Rivers throws for 256, but the story of this game is the corner for the Bills, Vontae Davis, at halftime, just decides to retire. That's it. 
I'm calling it a career. Even posted a statement on Twitter. And I understand people are going to lambaste them, and rightfully so, because despite the fact people have come out and said, hey, it's his life, he can do what he wants, he's given up 10 years of his life body, I get that. But you know what? Finish the game at least. Or tell your coach at halftime, say, listen, coach, I'll go in there, I'm just, my heart's not in it, or whatever it may be. Just don't take off the uniform in the locker room, walk out, and say goodbye. Because I could already see it, and I don't want to pick on the guy, but I could already see, let's say a year from now, he wants to come back in the league. Who in their right mind is going to want to sign this guy? And the guy's been a very good corner for a long time, 10 years. You know, he's playing on a bunch of teams, you know, Dolphins, uh, obviously the Bills here, Colts. But just to up and leave at halftime, and that's it? I call it a career? I could see, hey, you played a second half. Suck it up. And then you talk to the coach after the game. Monday, you want to put out a statement today? Fine. And I get it. J- people, J. Reels, what are you talking about? You know, you never played in the league. You don't know what it's like. So I, I, I understand. But but how is that? You know, that's just like working in the middle of a job, just getting up and quitting and walking out. You know, you just show no integrity. And that's the one thing that I take away from. And listen, I don't know what's going on through his head. Hopefully he's doing okay. Hopefully he's not you know, going through some situation where he was just been totally immersed in and then decided that that, this is how I feel, I'm going to get up and walk away and hopefully leads a good, prosperous life. But at the same time, just to do it right in that halftime, ah, that's no good. But anyway, so the Chargers get a victory there. Buffalo is already on their way to a long season. The Texans, I mentioned this earlier, were Tennessee, although Deshaun Watson had a good game, but uh, Houston did, uh, or Tennessee did just enough, 20-17. to 17. Uh, So both teams right now, uh, with Tennessee 1-1, Houston 0-2, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Philly and Tampa, what about Mar- uh, Mark Fitzpatrick, I was going to say, that's the old goalie from the Islanders back in the day. Ryan Fitzpatrick, another four-touchdown game. Tampa shocking the world again, beating the Eagles. Down in Tampa, Tampa right now, I mean, what could you say? Who would have thought 2-0, and and you may even have a quarterback controversy once Jameis Winston, who I believe has another game coming off of suspension after that. I think it's three games. I don't even think it's four. But you got to wonder, will he be able to give up that job? And we know Fitzpatrick. He is Jekyll and Hyde. He has those games where he'll give you that four-touchdown output, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, you know, here's a guy, veteran guy. He knows – his way around the league, so on and so forth. But when you really need him in a big spot, what happens? He'll throw four picks. I mean, that's Ryan Fitzpatrick's career in a nutshell. And even though he's been on a million teams and he's played in the league about 13 years right now, and God bless him for it, but he's been a backup for a reason. And granted, he started and had success, as Jet fans know. But uh, here's the good Ryan Fitzpatrick that you've seen. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now leading the NFC South in a division with Carolina, Atlanta, and New Orleans all made the playoffs last year or all looking up at the Buccaneers here this Monday morning. Uh, just very shocking, to say the least. The Colts beat the Redskins there in the nation's capital 21-9. Uh, not much really there to discuss. Uh, same thing, not much to discuss out in L.A. between the Cardinals and the Rams. 34 nothing there as the Rams, like I said earlier, they're going to be a front-running team. They're going to just pick teams apart. 33 points against the Raiders last week, 34 against the Cardinals. But my thing is that in a tough moment or in a crux of a game, maybe not in the season because you think that they're going to win the NFC West, you wonder what this team's going to be like, let's say, hey, against a good team in a big spot, down 10, third quarter, how that, re- how that team responds. That's going to be where we want to see the Rams mature. But uh, 34 nothing yesterday as they cruise – San Francisco, Detroit, San Francisco, with everything that's gone on with the Lions this past week, where a lot of the rumblings out of there is that the players can't stand Matt Patricia. And the Niners, who come off a uh, rough game against the Vikings opening day, they bounce back 30-27, to although Stafford threw for over 300, and they had 138 yards on the ground from uh, Matt Breida, the kid from San Francisco. The Niners get in the win column at uh, 1-1, and and the Lions look like they're headed for a long season, now 0-2. Oakland, who had this game in charge against the Broncos, 
Uh, Last-minute field goal, Brandon McManus, 20-19. Broncos off to a 2-0 start. Both games at home. Now they're going to hit the road. They play in Baltimore this week, which should be an interesting game. Uh, Oakland, we all know the issues coming out of there. Uh, who knows what it's going to be like this week. It's going to be a big soap opera. Obviously, started off with the Leal Mack trade, and then you know Gruden is Gruden. You know He's going to say things. He's going to probably ruffle some feathers there, and to think – they signed him for 10 year, long years and $100 million just to be the coach. So, uh, yes, a lot to be watched there over the course of the next uh, 15 weeks of the season. Let's see what else we have here. Minnesota-Green Bay, let's talk about that real quick. This was a wild game, back and forth, up and down. Kirk Cousins, who, even with this signing, although a very good quarterback, I'll say just a good quarterback, and has a chance to be a very good quarterback. Had his moments here, you know, throwing picks. Had a pick that was overturned, thankfully, that kept them alive. And then he made that unbelievable throw to get it in the end zone to get the game tied. But the kicker who missed, uh, I can't think of his name on the top of my head, who had a rough afternoon, missed two uh, kicks in overtime. And who knows if they're going to be looking for a place kicker as well. And I know that a lot has been made of in the first two weeks, especially now you had two ties in the first two weeks of the season. I don't even, I can't recall the last time it's ever happened in an NFL season, let alone to start the season. But I, on Twitter, Stephen A. Smith coming out making these stupid comments about, oh, they need to change the rules, they should play until somebody drops, so on and so forth. This is the same guy. And I understand this was many years ago on this Quite Frankly show on ESPN2, and I like Stephen A., so I'm not picking on him because I can't stand him. But here's the same guy that on his show back then, said, and, you know, Stephen A is not 20 years old. He said that if you're going to go for a field goal on third down, you miss it, you could attempt to go for another field goal on fourth down. Yeah, I said that. Well, I didn't say it. He did. Can you imagine? Lining up for a field goal on third down, let's say at the end of the game, just in case a bot snap, whatever, and if you miss it, you could go ahead again on fourth down. So for him to come out and make a comment like, oh, they should just play until they drop. This is preposterous. These ties. If anything, the one thing they need to tweak is just put it back to 15 minutes. And I get safety in the league. I get all that. And I'm not trying to say that you're going to have 20 ties this year. But make it 15 minutes. You know, because you give that extra series or two in the mix. Keep the same overtime rules. Same way with the scoring. If the team marches down the field, kicks a field goal, the other team gets the ball. If they don't score, game over. Or if they don't tie the game, et cetera. So extend it to 15. That's it. Nobody needs to play until they drop. No, only in the postseason is when that really matters. All right? I don't want to hear anything hokey, anything. No, no, no. And for Stephen A to say that, just to play until they drop, I mean, please. Come on. You're going to have week one. You're going to have players playing three, you know, overtimes if that's – Claim to be, no, you're talking about safety in the game. And right, even if you tack on those five extra minutes, people are going to be, oh, well, listen, what about safety in the game? Well, hey, if there's going to be more ties, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes back to the old way where they say, hey, 15 minutes. Because the ties, although when you look at the Vikings and Packers, for instance, we know that the next game that they play in Minnesota, especially for the division, there's your tiebreaker. So having the tie, although it doesn't look sexy in the – in the record column. But it certainly doesn't hurt from a standpoint of now when they face each other again, and chances are, could be for a division, whoever wins that game are gonna, is going to win the division. So you don't have to worry about, all right, well, head-to-head, all right, well, they tied, now you got to break down the division. No. That's what it's going to come down to. So that's how you look at it. That's how I look at it. Because to me, it is unusual that you've had ties these first two weeks. And you kind of wonder that, hey, are there going to be more ties this year? Who knows? And will players even play for a tie? Remains to be seen. You know, you never know. Three minutes to go. Is it going to be that push? I mean, it shouldn't come down to that. I mean, players should be always play to win, but who knows? So maybe because it's early on, who knows if it was later in the year, maybe to be more urgency. I don't know. I can't answer that. Only the players can. But uh, as of right now, just to think, two ties in the first two weeks of the season. I don't know if we'll ever see that again in our lifetime. So uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, I didn't throw the sun, uh, the Thursday night game, Baltimore-Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati got out to a 21-0 lead, pretty much had the game control. 
So Bengals off to a 2-0 start. 34-23 was their game as the Bengals look to get a little bit of a stranglehold in the division, beating Baltimore already and uh, moving forward. Obviously still very early, only two games in, but uh, certainly off to a good start there are the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, let's see what else did I, did I miss here. Oakland, Oh, New England and Jacksonville. How could I forget that? That was a game where Blake Bortles, 370 yards, 377 yards and four touchdowns. You would think that would have been Tom Brady. No, Blake Bortles, the Jaguars certainly put it on the Patriots and that stifling heat down there. I think it was 97 degrees of kickoff, which is, I guess, on record, the hottest game ever played down there in Jacksonville. Uh, and they certainly played very well. Bortles was pretty much Pro Bowl form, if you could believe that, coming uh, saying that in the same sentence. So Jacksonville certainly gets a leg up on the uh, AFC early on with the uh, 31-20 victory. Two games, uh, 2-0 and to start off their season as New England is now uh, balanced out at 1-1. One and, one. and, yeah, let's just cut right to it. I think I've gone through all the games there. And, uh, yeah, let's cut to the Steeler game. The Steelers, of course, miss Ryan Chazier in the worst way, and they pretty much missed him ever since he was out of the lineup in that uh, unfortunate night in Cincinnati there Monday was it December the 4th. And this defense misses him now even more than ever because the middle of the field was just run amok by the Kansas City offense. They barely got a finger on Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback. They only had one sack in the afternoon. And I get it that Andy Reid, they came up with a, just an excellent game plan. I understand Mike Hilton, the cornerback for the Steelers, he could come out with all the excuses in the world. Oh, they didn't earn it. You know, we just had a bunch of blown coverages, miscommunication. Yeah, that's just a big flat-out excuse. 42 points at home, six touchdowns. Now, Pat Mahomes, he has 10 touchdowns. First two games is the fastest start for any quarterback in the history of the league. Now, he's on pace to throw 80 touchdowns, which that's not going to happen, but that just goes to show you how fast of a start he's off to. I mean, he just had his way with them. You know, look at the numbers. 23 of 28. What do you throw? 309 yards, six touchdowns. I mean, that's, just, that's a disaster if you're a defense. And again, it goes back to what I've said time and time again, especially with this Steeler defense, their defense coordinator, Keith Butler, and even to Tomlin. We know that this Steeler defense is going to play zone. And they just gouge them in the middle of the field all day. Travis Kelsey, 109 yards. Touchdowns abound. Uh, everybody is just wide open in the middle of the field. And, I mean, that's all there is to it. And a lot of that is a zone. They're not going to play man. I get that. But when you talk about teams that make adjustments, I mean, they're, the Steeler defensive identity will always be that identity, but they can never seem to adjust on the fly. And when they see that the middle of the field is just being open left and right, where Mahomes is just threading needles, picking them apart, you would think that, hey, maybe we should go man. And I get it that they don't have a guy that could guard Travis Kelsey, their tight end, and we get that Tyreek Hill is a speed demon. Kareem Hunt did nothing on the ground. I mean, he had a couple of big first downs when it mattered there late in the game. But at the same time, if you're a Steeler fan, I mean, you've seen this movie and you've seen this script so many times that when will they realize that they're just being shredded in the middle of the field? And I get that. Even Shazier, a guy that Kelsey still has four or five inches on, but the speed, that he, being able to get to follow or shadow the tight end, and then hopefully the safety over the top will do something on the back end. You know, it's not the offense that's killing the Steelers here in this early going, despite the fact that they had a bunch of turnovers against Cleveland in the first game, but... You know, you can't knock what they've done on offense to this point. Again, down 21 nothing, they came back to tie the game and even came back again to tie it at 28. And then at that point, they pretty much – the defense didn't do anything. It was like almost like watching the Jacksonville game all over again, the playoff game this past uh, January. To me, that was a carbon copy of that game. And the Steelers now lick their wounds 0-1-1. They play in Tampa, so they're going to have a tough matchup there Monday night, a week from tonight. And if you're a Steeler fan like myself, it's only two games and it's only one loss, despite the tie last week. They have to turn it around here. 
There's no ifs, ands, buts about it because on the horizon of that game next week, and the good thing is is that it's not as if they came away with a victory and they could go into that game against Tampa. Not that they should look or overlook any team in the NFL, but a team that's 2-0 and on the road. But the Ravens are right around the corner on a Sunday night the week after that. So they have two weeks where they have their work cut out for them. A Monday night, which I'm sure is going to be blazing hot. Thankfully, it's not going to be in the middle of the day. But I'm sure it's going to be a hot human night in Tampa. And then a Sunday night against the Ravens. So Steelers better certainly get their act together. And, and just a, an abomination of a game yesterday. I mean, it's all there is to it. The defense is to blame. I know there's been some rumblings about Antonio Brown. I, I, he had a fit on the sideline yesterday. What did he have? I think nine catches. He was targeted 16 times for so 70-something yards. But I think he's not too happy because he sees Jesse James 13 for 121 and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster going for 130-something yards with you know 12 or 13 catches. Uh, listen, Antonio, we understand that you're the all-pro, but you know it's not as if you're not getting the ball. It's not as if you're getting four passes a game and everybody else is getting the shine. And it led to an article that I read this morning about Antonio Brown. Uh, he's more worried about his stats than wins. And you know what? I don't want to make this out to be railing on Antonio Brown. The guy's been an all pro for five years in a row, and he's been unbelievable. Push the antics aside, I don't like to see that, all the stupid celebrations. But you know what? In a league where there's a bunch of me guys, a wide receiver, he is at the top of that. And what you saw yesterday, he was barking with the offensive coordinator, Randy Fickner. It was a thing where, hey, give me the ball. And he doesn't have a bulldog like Todd Haley to get in his face and shut up. Fickner's going to be a guy that's just going to Take the high route. But anyway, enough of Antonio Brown, enough of the Steelers. Obviously, as I said, they have a big game Monday night against a 2-0 team, so we'll see how that shakes down. And as far as the schedule for next week, well, tonight you have Seattle and Chicago uh, for a Monday night to wrap up week two. And uh, week three, the games you have coming up, New Orleans, Atlanta should be uh, an interesting game. Kansas City has their first home game against San Francisco. Uh, What else we got here that's uh, noteworthy? Yeah, Cincinnati, Carolina, if you're, you know, I mentioned Denver, Baltimore. Chargers at Rams. You got L.A. versus L.A. Could you imagine that? Meanwhile, three years ago, it would have been San Diego, St. Louis. Uh, you don't really have a sexy week three. A. It's, a, it's a very lackluster schedule. Let's just put it that way. Here's all you need to know. You know what the Sunday night game is? And I understand they looked at it from the angle of, hey, the young pupil getting his first NFL job, going up against his former boss and the the teacher in Bill Belichick, New England at Detroit. Oh, my God. That's going to be a bad one. Well, anyway, that's your NFL there as we move on to baseball here on the j Rules Podcast. The Yankees. Here are the concerns that I have for this team now. And I, listen, I have sung their praises all summer. And I've said time and time again that this is a team that, don't worry, they're going to be there in October. You're going to see what's going to happen. Not that they're going to turn the switch on, but they'll host a wild card game. Everything will be hunky-dory. Nobody's going to need to worry about, and away we go. Well, right now, here are the concerns that I have about this Yankee team. And again, I understand they don't have Aaron Judge in the lineup. They don't have their closer. We understand all those things. And those are key things. We certainly can't not pay attention and think that, ah, you know, everything's going to be fine. All right. But you would think that with the roster that they have now, they are still the second-best team in baseball. And I understand you got Oakland right behind pretty much. And record-wise, I get it that the Houston Astros have a better record than the Yankees, so they're not the second-best team in baseball anymore. But the concerns that I have with this Yankee team is that with the infusion of young players – a la Andujar Torres, who Andujar had, of course, had the big weekend, including the Grand Slam that got him close there on Saturday. But to put too much on their plate, especially in a playoff game, and I understand with young players sometimes, you know, it's as, as if they don't know any better. Like, Honda's the playoffs, and they still go out and rake and give you three hits and perform at a high level. But the thing is, I think you're putting too much focus and emphasis. It's going to end up being a thing where there's going to be too much focus and emphasis on the young guys to perform. And even though Giancarlo hit a home run there the other night, but he has not done anything in the last three weeks. And it's going to be his first postseason after being in this league, you know, being in the majors for eight years. And, you know, not having the Aaron Judges of the world. 
and who knows who's going to be starting in that wild card game. And a lot of people think that, hey, it should be Tanaka. And Tanaka pits well there on Friday night against the Blue Jays. But the thing with the Yankees, they're just not playing well. They're letting these bad teams beat them. Minnesota winning two out of three. Toronto winning two out of three. They're 8-11 and 11 in this month. And pretty much since the All-Star break, they've been just a few games over 500. Do I expect that to change? Do I expect them to go now in these last 12 games, you know, 9-3? and three? And forget that they're playing the Red Sox in six of those and Tampa four next week. Well, they're playing 13 games. Well, they have 13 games left. I said 12. That they're going to go, what, 10-3, 9-4? No. So my thing is, is that they're just playing so bad it reminds me a lot of 2015 where they ended that season poorly and then they had the one-game playoff against Houston. We know what happened. To me, I see the same blueprint as the Yankees are just crawling to the end of the season, the same thing happening in October. I just think that the team is running out of gas. I just think the team is just – they're not playing to the competition. It's almost as if they – Oh, for all intents and purposes, they conceded finally yesterday the division. They said, well, we're not going to get the Red Sox with the division. I get, and I understand they're going to say that. You know, They're not going to say on September 1st when they're eight games back that, oh, we're out of the AL East division race. I get that. But at the same time, now you kind of wonder if they're going to just have enough to beat the Red Sox this week. And all we, the Red Sox, all they have to do is just win one of these next three games and they've won the division. But the young team that they are, and even with the mix of veterans that they have, but when you look at it, if they started this playoff tomorrow and you look at this lineup, you know, are the Luke Voigt's of the world going to pull through? How's Miguel Anahar going to do in a big spot? Even Gleyber Torres, you know, and they've hit of late, but, I mean, they haven't been world beaters the way they've been in the middle of the season. I mean, Andahar's been more consistent. And Giancarlo, we know how he's falling apart. Sanchez has come back. He hasn't really done much. And you certainly got to wonder about his psyche going into the postseason. That just the feeling around this team is just, and not to say they had to have a stretch where they had to be dominant or they had to be, you know, win eight, nine in a row, but no, win series. Can they win series? You know, the only series that they won in the last two weeks is in Seattle. They've lost to Oakland. Okay, you could understand why. You know, Oakland's in the mix and they've been nipping at the Yankees' heels for the last, you know, six, seven weeks. But to lose. To Minnesota and to Toronto, especially after you won the first game? I don't know. It's almost as if they're sleepwalking. And no matter how you paint it, if the Yankees go into that wild card game, and I, the A's are hungry, and they stumbled over the weekend, you know, in Tampa. But the A's look a lot more hungrier. And it's going to be scary to think, because the A's, they're going to throw the kitchen sink. And what I mean by that is, who knows? They may throw the... Start her out for two innings and then give you a bullpen by committee just to get to that next game. And that's what they're going to do. Will the Yankees do that? And to talk about bullpens, the Yankee bullpen has not been stellar as of late either. And I'm not even going to mention potentials of what happened yesterday, but the Yankees have just not been, again, they've just been off. They haven't been crisp. It's almost as if they just, let's just get to game 162 and we'll see you October 2nd. That's how they've been playing. They've been playing like a team that's, Won a few World Series or won a World Series, and it's just like, you know what? Hey, we're just bored with the regular season. Let's just get to the postseason. No, it doesn't work that way. And before the Yankee fan could come out and say, oh, well, Jay Reels, uh, have you forgotten what happened to the Yankees in 2000 when they limped into the postseason that year, had 87 victories, and they beat your Mets in five to win their fourth World Series in five years? Well, here's my retort. That team had championship medal Yes, they won their fourth World Series in five years. That team knew how to win. This team doesn't know how to win. Bottom line, that is it. Underline, they do not know how to win. And people could come out and say, oh, well, look at the guys that bring them back. You know, Judge has been there, which obviously he hasn't been there the last almost two months. Sanchez, I understand the cast of characters that were on the team last year, this year, the carryover. But wait, you also have a lot of young guys that weren't on this team and weren't playing. And a big one in Stanton who has a lot to prove because he's never seen October in his life. And listen, I love Stanton more more than the next guy. I'm a huge fan of his. But 
Do you really think that all of a sudden that's what's going to go on and whomever he's going to be facing in October, that right away they're not going to try to gear him to get him out? They're not going to be shaking in their boots. They have scouting reports. They know how to get Stanton out. So that's what I'm concerned. I'm concerned that this team, now this malaise has been over this team now for the last three, four, well, let's say the last three weeks in particular, that they're just not going to snap out of it. And I tell you, if somehow, some way, and I think they're going to win the wild card, the home field advantage, I, I, I'll say it right now. I, I wouldn't, if I'm a Yankee fan, I wouldn't even worry about it. I'm worried about the team. But if by hook or crook, Oakland gets that top spot and the Yankees had to fly out there, whoa, man. And I don't want to hear Yankee fans if this happens. No, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to spare that. I'm going to spare you guys what I was going to say. Because if by chance the Yankees do not win at any point of October, that's the time I'll bring it up. So that's what you got with the Yankees. And, you know, they have an interesting week here. They have Red Sox here for three. I, I get Baltimore's coming in the weekend. and They, they should be – listen, they lose two out of three to Baltimore. Oh, my goodness. I don't care if the Red Sox win each game 10-0. They need to they need to sweep Baltimore. I mean, if Baltimore eats out a win, or they're a major league team, I guess they're allowed to win once in a while. But I, I don't want to hear it. If the Baltimore even thinks about coming in and winning two games. Earlier this year, they won three or four, which was mind-boggling. And granted, that was back in April. But if the Orioles come in here, they come to Yankee Stadium to end out their home regular season schedule, winning two out of three, next Monday, I'm just going to shred the Yankees. Build the post. Mark my words. I mean, that'd just be inexcusable. So we'll see how that shakes down. And uh, to go through Major League Baseball real quick, uh, the American League you just forget about. There's nothing really to report there. As I said, Red Sox, they win, they're done. Cleveland's been done for the longest time. The Astros have a four-and-a-half game lead on the A's, so you could pretty much kiss that division goodbye. And the Oakland A's, as I said, have a game-and-a-half trailing behind the Yankees for the top spot in the AL. So that's wrap it up there. As far as the National League is concerned, the Braves are going to win the East. Uh, Philly was in a free fall, even going back to last week, and I really didn't chronicle how much of a free fall they were in. They had lost 20 or 30 going into uh, their series last Monday against the Nationals, and they pretty much blew whatever chance they had of trying to get back in the race or get closer to Atlanta, I should say, when the Nationals went in there and swept them in Philadelphia. That pretty much ended their season. So the Phillies will certainly have to build for next year. In the Central, the Cubs, who were at midweek, uh, a game ahead of the Brewers for the division, they've certainly gotten a little bit of a breather there over the course of the weekend. So now they're two and a half games up on the Brewers for the division, where the Cardinals are pretty much going to be out for the division now as they're five back. They had a rough weekend against the Dodgers as they lost three or four. They did win last night behind Adam Wainwright. But with that, they are in the wild card. Their situation, they're tied with the Dodgers for the wild card. And if you're the Dodgers, you're certainly not looking at a wild card. You want a division because Colorado, to go to the West, Colorado leads the NL West by a half game where the Dodgers are just a half game out and they face each other. Three big games starting tonight in L.A., so we'll see how that unfolds over the course of the next three days with the Dodgers and Rockies. Arizona, you can forget about. They had a tough schedule to begin with. Uh, They've been in a free fall their own selves. They've lost 12 of 16, including 3 of 4 to Colorado last week. They lost 2 of 3 to Houston over the weekend, so they're pretty much done. So that's going to be a two-team race in the NL West, but of course – the Dodgers looking, if they don't happen to win a division, they could certainly have the wild card to fall back on, and they're tied with St. Louis for that spot as of right now. The Brewers have a two-and-a-half game lead over the Cardinals, where the Brewers down the stretch here, they do play next, I think that'd be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't know how that, uh, how that will uh, take place, but the Brewers and Cardinals will have one last shot in St. Louis early next week as the Brewers look to hang on to the first wild-card spot in the National League. So pretty much your race, races are as follows. Milwaukee, as far as the wild-card's concerned, Milwaukee 2.5, St. Louis and L.A. Arizona, they're pretty much done, so I'm not even going to include them right now. So you have those three teams in the mix, especially St. Louis and L.A. And in the Central, you have 
the Brewers, who do not play the Cubs again, they're two and a half games behind the Cubs for first place in the NL Central, where in the West, Colorado and L.A., who start a huge series uh, tonight, will go up against the Rockies, L.A. and the Rockies tonight, and Dodger Stadium for three big games for the uh, NL West. And one last thing, uh, uh, this is just about the Mets, about, uh, well, two things. Uh, one about David Wright, who will play his uh, final game as a Met a week from this coming Saturday, which will be September 29th, and uh, good job by the Mets. And you would think that Jose Reyes will also start it short to reunite them for one last time to be on the same uh, side of the infield. Uh, it's been a long road for David Wright. Uh, it's f- going to come down to this. He's going to be activated as of next Tuesday, September 25th, on the last homestand. So you'll probably see him in a pinch-hitting role at some point in one or two spots there. I don't think as many spots, but I'm sure you're going to see him before that. But the 29th is going to be the main night. Uh, his uh, say goodbye to baseball, although he didn't mention about retirement or didn't say the R word during his press conference last week, but uh, pretty much his body is not going to be able to go through the rigors of a whole season, let alone just going through one game. What he goes through is just is a miracle for him to get on the field. So this will be it. I'll talk more a little bit about it next week as uh, I'm sure we'll get some more news that will trickle in between now and then and obviously for the following week when we close out the season and get a little perspective of the Mets. And that uh, first show, I think it'll be October 1st, as we'll recap uh, the Mets season looking forward at that point. And then the other thing is, is that if there are going to be some writers who may not pick Jacob DeGrom to win the Cy Young, it's going to be because of the wins and losses. You're going to have those old school writers, and I don't know who has the vote of the Baseball Writers of America. But if Jacob DeGrom somehow, some way, and right now he's 8-9 and nine, with two more starts, He'll have a start this Friday in Washington, and then in all likelihood, Wednesday, the following Wednesday against the Braves. They have an off day Monday, so I don't think I think he's gonna. I would think Callaway's gonna put him on his regular schedule five day rest. I don't think they're gonna skip pitchers here at this point of the season. I mean, what's the purpose? And I wouldn't be surprised is even if he pitches that Wednesday, if he goes on three days rest Sunday against the Marlins. And on those three days, Russell probably pitched five, six innings tops. I don't think he pitching more than that. But the point of the matter is, is that if the baseball writers look at this record, and even though Felix Hernandez was one game over when he won a Cy Young back in 2012, I believe, if Jacob deGrom is at 500, his chance of winning a Cy Young I think would be good. If it's under 500, I could see that being a big reason why he doesn't win it because a lot of these writers are going to look at wins over anything else and may say, hey, if Jacob DeGrom is 9-10, and 10, how can I get this guy to Cy Young? Where by far he's been the best pitcher in baseball, let alone the National League this year. All right, so he gives up a two-run homer to Brock Holt yesterday. Certainly gives up three runs, which again, he still has a streak now, 27 games where he's given up three runs in a start or, or less. But he pitches seven innings, he gives up three runs early, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, geez, this is a game where he's not going to have it. But typical DeGrom, regroups, strikes out 12, pitches seven innings, uh, another massive performance with the Mets obviously give him another no decision, and they lose a series in Boston to the Red Sox. And then they played very well against the Red Sox, give him credit, including an 8-0 shutout on Friday. Shocker. But if the writers, and I don't know how old they are, but if the these guys are die-in-the-wool, old-school we credit Cy Young Award winners with the home runs, and we don't look at the sabermetrics and things of that nature. And you know I'm not a sabermetric guy by any stretch, people. But be that as it may, if somehow, some way, if he's at 500, he may, I would think he'd have a chance to win it. But if he's under 500, nah. I don't think he's going to. I'd be shocked. And he should still win it because all the other numbers are just off the charts. And I'm not saying that because I got the Met pom-poms out or whatever, but just compare the numbers. Take the wins out of the mix, and I get it. Pitchers want to win. Well, the guy's been dominant every start this year. I mean, I understand he's had his losses, and he's, he's, he's had to, those tough starts where on the plus side or the negative side. You know, lose a game to the Marlins, he goes seven innings, gives up two runs, strikes out nine, but he loses the game because the offense doesn't score a run. Well, that's his fault. But I can see somehow, some way, in a close vote, Aaron Nola wins the Cy Young, which he's deserving, but because his record will be whatever it is, 16-5, not 9-10 like the Grom. So just something to keep an eye out. 
for uh, once the award season kicks off. Now it won't be until after the World Series. And let me wrap this up with this. I know Saturday night there was a fight in uh, Vegas between uh, Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Golovkin, of course, Triple G, everybody knows him as. Uh, And, of course, that was a big heavyweight fight. It was a second fight where Alvarez won. A lot of people thought Golovkin should have won based on the scorecards. Oh, he was robbed, and they only did that to set him up for a third fight, which, you know, is typical boxing. Well, please, people, in the Immortal Awards, if I've said on this podcast for different events, if that was in my backyard, I'd draw the blinds. I could care less. Boxing, unfortunately, is just a sport that it has tremendous history, but that's all it has right now. We haven't had a true heavyweight class in God knows how long. The last great fight, when you want to think about it, as sad as this is, was Floyd uh, Mayweather with Colin McGregor. And that wasn't even a great fight, but that was all the hype and everything surrounded that. The Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, which should have been the last great fight, obviously that was, wasn't was anything close. And boxing as a whole, to me, it does not attract my eyeballs to the sets the way it once did. And there are two sports in this country that have just a deep, rich, tremendous history. is baseball and boxing. That's not to knock the NFL. The NBA, remember, it came in the mid-40s. So, boxing goes back to the, you know, 19th century. Same as baseball. Now, we understand that once you got into the 20th century, that's when it started to pick up. We all know that. But even that, I mean, we could go with the names for both sports. Going all the way back. Jack Dempsey, and I, we'll be here forever with that. But my point is, is that the sport is not a shell of its old self. It is a chalk outline of its old self. And I don't care what people say. I don't care how great the fight was. I don't care if it was Ward, Gotti, those fights. I don't care if it was Hagler, Hearns. It doesn't matter to me. If I missed it, oh well. Too bad because the sport is just, it's not even on life support. It is literally a chalk outline of what it once was. And that's why, and I understand I got a few guys out there. My boy Jimmy, who's a huge fight fan, and a few people I know who watch boxing. But to me, it doesn't have the same... Appeal. You know, you look forward to those Saturday night fights. Oh, when are they fighting? Oh, Saturday night? And you made your plans. Who's going to have the pay-per-view? Hey, who's going to invite people over? Hey, we'll chip in for this or whatever. I remember those days. Oh, my God. Those are the the halcyon days of pay-per-view. Now, huh, again, the cable companies, whatever, they could send that. Hey, we'll give this fight for you for free. Nah, I'll pass. And that's not because, ah, Jerry was in a sports fan. Ah, come on. You know, what? The, 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 the game does not. The sport doesn't appeal to me one bit. And because of that, why bother? We know boxing's been corrupt from the beginning of time. And you you had those crazy decisions and controversy, and we get that. And we've seen it time and time again. But to watch that in 2018? (laughs) No. Sorry. I mean, anything short of like my own family member, if they were a boxer and they wanted to get into the ring and make a career out of it, I, I could care less. That's all there is to it. I mean, please, people. And MMA, don't get me started on that because I'm not into that either. So so that's how I'm going to end off this show, <laughs> talking about boxing. But, you know, I had to throw that in there because I'm sure people are going to say, hey, Jay Reels, you're going to talk about boxing. Or, hey, there was a big event that happened Saturday night. And I'm aware of it, of course. It's what I do. It's what I I see. But at the same time, if I have no interest, well, I even bother. Especially when the game is not the way it once was. Well, with that said, people, I do appreciate you taking the time out to listen to what I have to say. It goes without saying that, uh, you know, your support, your love, everything for what it is that I do. Because, again, uh, you bless me and I bless you back to bring you everything that's going on in the world of sports. is what I love to do. It's my passion. Everything and uh, the kitchen sink, all that and a bag of chips, whatever you want to call it. Uh, But please, uh, again, because I'm an independent outfit, I write, produce, host edit my own program. You know, it's not as if I have a ton of sponsorship, a ton of fanfare. So whatever you guys could do on your end, I greatly appreciate it. Spread the word to those who may be interested, who love sports, like sports, getting into sports, whatever. I don't care how old. If they're 80 years old or 8 years old, please spread the word. Uh, They could listen to me each and every week here to go to my website at uh, www.jreels.com for all of my old shows. 
uh, any info regarding me, uh, anything else regarding the show, please uh, just direct them to that or have them go to any of their outlets where they get their podcasts from, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those. Uh, and it's easy. Just go to your phone, hit a couple buttons. There's a podcast button, people. I understand you got a zillion apps. You want to look through all your social media and you know your parking apps and all these other things. You're living social, and I get that. But there is a dedicated app on your phone for podcasts. All you got to do is just type, hit that, type in the J Reels podcast. You'll see my silly cartoonish icon pop up. Just hit subscribe. Listen to a couple of programs, or hey, if you've listened to it before, just give me your post a rating, leave a review, whatever it may be. Because again, that's only going to popularize and uh, populate, I should say, the sports podcast universe for getting more likes and getting more reviews and gaining popularity, which would increase visibility for me and for the podcast, as well as for any future guests that may come onto the program. So please, with your help, I would, uh, again, thank you twice more than once. Of course, you could listen or not only just listen on the podcast, but you could any of my social media accounts go to Instagram, J Reels. Or Twitter, J Reels One, my Facebook page, the J Reels Podcast, for any updates regarding the program. If you want to send me an email or a DM, you could go to those aforementioned social media sites or the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com for any email inquiries or questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, as I'll be sure to get back to you ASAP. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast. On the flip, baby.